So let's hear now from Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus spoke to his disciples about the first Easter. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say the John of Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Following on from verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Uh, well, it's uh, good to be here this morning on Good Friday. Welcome today. My name's James Brooks, one of the ministry team here at Karajonga North Richard Anglican. And uh, it's great that you could join us today. Uh, do keep your Bibles open if you've uh, got that in one of the Bibles that you've brought or that you've picked up in the foyer. And um, there's an outline that uh, hopefully we've got on the way in as well. Uh, so please make use of that or hopefully it's helpful for you. Uh, but our theme this year is uh, an unexpected Easter. And when something's unexpected, it's easy to respond badly, isn't it? Uh, responding to the unexpected. Uh, 
Maybe there's the guy that you've heard of who, when his wife says to him, oh, honey, we're pregnant, he says, you're joking, right? Uh, or, or maybe uh, like this cat uh, who responds to the unexpected kind of person standing behind him, whoop, okay. Uh, it's easy to respond and then has a bit of trouble getting out. Oh no, we got, it's okay, the cat's safe. We can get to the end of the video. Um, responding to the unexpected. Uh, when something's unexpected, you can respond in all different ways, but you, you want to respond rightly, don't you? We, we want to respond in a way that's good rather than a bad way. And so when it comes to Easter, um, you might be thinking, well, what's so unexpected about Easter? You know, it happens every year. Uh, we basically know what happens. Jesus died on the Friday. He rose from the dead on the Sunday. And that's kind of what we celebrate. But there are a few things that are unexpected about Easter. Uh, things that were unexpected on that first Easter and things that are unexpected now. Uh, so we're going to have a look at this part of the Bible. And I'm going to ask you, how are you going to respond to the unexpected Easter? Firstly, uh, the unexpected King. Uh, in a sense, he was unexpected. He was also expected, but they didn't expect the way that he came. You see, uh, lots of people, uh, Jesus asks, so, rather, sorry, his disciples have gathered around him and he asks them, who do you say the Son of Man is? In other words, um, what's the word on the street about me? Jesus has been doing uh, some amazing things, healing uh, people, not only those who come to him, but those who are back at home when their friend comes and says, can you heal my daughter or can you heal my servant? Jesus has been healing even at a distance, feeding thousands, doing some amazing things and people are starting to wonder, who is this man? Is, is, is there someone that he could be? You see, from the Old Testament, uh, back in the Old Testament, there was this expectation, a Jewish expectation that someone would come, in fact, God would send someone to come and fix things up. Uh, that included fixing up the nation of Israel. Uh, things were pretty much in tatters for them. Uh, they were ruled over by nation after nation after nation. Uh, and it was the Romans at the time when Jesus was, was, that, was around. Uh, but not just for the nation Israel. This one would come and fix up the world, set things aright again. Get rid of all the corruption and injustice and suffering. There was great expectation. And so Jesus asked the people, the disciples, who do, who do people say I am? And the disciples answer, verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. There's a few ideas out there about who Jesus could be, even one that, that he was John the Baptist, come back from the dead. As then, so now, there's always different ideas around about who Jesus is. Some people today might think that Jesus is just a good teacher or just a prophet a holy man, or, or maybe even a myth, someone who didn't really exist, but just kind of made up. But then things get a bit more personal, don't they? And Jesus narrows in and he says it to them in verse 15, look with me, I've got it on the screen as well. well what about you, he says? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, uh, bold as he was, uh, and standing up for the disciples, uh, you are the Christ, he says, the Son of the living God. Now, this is a pretty momentous moment. If, if we were listening to the, um, like an, an audio Bible, maybe there'd be like a big 
like sound in the background as this kind of thing happens. It's a, it's a big moment, something momentous has happened. Uh, you see, and, and we can see from what Jesus goes on to say as well. Uh, Peter says, you are the Christ, the one who God has promised to, who would come to fix things up. You're God's king. Yes, Jesus says, yes, that's right. And it's, it's God himself who's opened your eyes, Peter, to see this. You have been blessed, Jesus says. You see, it's amazing, this statement in the story, but, but as people who are reading the gospel, this account of Jesus' life, it's actually not something that's so unknown to us. You see, in fact, back at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, if you flip with me back to Matthew chapter 1, just about 10 or so pages back, Matthew chapter 1, he says this in the first verse. He says, this is the account of the line of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. He's told us right back at the beginning, Jesus is the Christ, the son of David, the king of Israel, the son of Abraham, the one who's bringing the promises of God from the Old Testament. But now finally, those in the actual account, those who are around Jesus, finally get it. But the trouble, you see, the trouble with, they get that he's the Christ. The trouble with words, though, you see, is that words and titles or names like this, it's not his surname, by the way, Jesus Christ. It wasn't Mr. and Mrs. Christ had the son, but it's Christ is the title. It's a, like king, okay? But titles or names or words like that, they're like balloons. You see? I've got one here. Uh, my little box of tricks. Uh, balloon, okay? It's like a, like a balloon. Uh, you can have um, a number of different purple balloons, um, but what they mean or how they act, it's going to be different depending on what's inside them, right? So what's, what's in this one? Here we go, ready? What's, what's in this one? Anyone? Air, that's right, air. I'll just uh, do a little knot. Uh, there's air in this one. This is, you know, it can be fun. Would anyone be happy for me to throw this one at them? Yeah, yeah, pretty happy, you know, we can do some fun things like this with it. Um, but look, I've got another one here, uh, purple balloon, uh, but there's something different in this one. Anyone uh, want to hazard a guess at what might be in this one? Over there, yep. It's not slime. It's not a ball. It is, it's bird seed. I prefer bird seed to rice. It just feels a bit nicer. But it's a good juggling ball. Uh, it's a bit hard to kind of juggle this balloon, but you could juggle this balloon. Uh, with, with the birdseed in it. Um, I've got another one here as well. Um, anyone want to hazard a guess at what's in this one? Mm, someone else? Yeah, it's not cordial, but water, that's right. Now, you might be happy for me to throw you this balloon, um, and maybe you'd even be happy for me to throw you this balloon, but does anyone want me to throw this one? Oh, yeah, Adam up the back, there we go. Uh, yeah. Um, balloon, you see, words are like balloons, you see? It depends what you fill them up with as to how they act, how they respond. A title like King or Christ, well, that might mean, in one sense, different things to different people. 
You've probably had that circumstance where you say one thing and someone thinks that you're saying something else. It can be quite a funny or a humorous circumstance that comes about uh, from that. But in this case, when it comes to Jesus and what he's saying, things are a little bit more serious, aren't they? It's a little bit more serious. Look, look with me. Um, Jesus says, Peter says, you're the Christ. Uh, and then Jesus says, yes, that's right. Where are we up to? Yeah. He says, yes, that's right, but your balloon is filled with the wrong stuff at the moment. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to teach you about what it really means. Okay? That's, that's what's going on here uh, for Simon and the disciples, Simon Peter and the disciples, that Jesus speaks to them. You see, for Jesus as God's King, it means an unexpected end, an end is coming. But for the disciples, that end is all a bit unexpected for them. Let's have a look at verse 21. Notice what he says. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus is telling them what it means for him to be the Christ. He's, he's filling up their balloon with the right thing. That's what he's, he's trying to do here. Um, they've got the right balloon. They know that he's the Christ, but he's got to fill it with the right thing so that they understand what it means for him to be God's king. But Peter, he, he balks at the whole thing. It's so unexpected for Peter that he can't stop himself. Hang on, hang on, he says. Hold up, Jesus. He takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. He begins to say, what are you talking about, Jesus? Literally, he says, may God be gracious and spare you. This will never happen to you. You're God's king. You're meant to be victorious. God's not going to let that happen to you. But then he receives an unexpected answer from Jesus too. Look with me, verse 23. Verse 23, Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Ouch. What a rebuke. It might sound harsh, what Jesus says here, Get behind me, Satan. But in Peter's words, in Peter's rebuke, Jesus actually sees the same temptation that the devil laid before him in the wilderness before he began his ministry. Matthew chapter 4, you might want to read it later on today if you've got the chance. You see, the big thing that the devil tempts Jesus with is to offer him all the kingdoms of the world. You can rule over them all now if you'll just bow down and worship me. He's saying, you don't have to suffer and die. You can have all that God is going to give you now, if you just worship me. You'll be crowned king over the world and all you need to do is honour me. You don't need to suffer. Can you see how that's along the same kind of lines as what Peter's saying back here in chapter 6, chapter 16? He's saying, you don't need to suffer and die, Peter says. That's not going to happen to you. You're the king 
But actually, that's exactly what's going to happen to him, isn't it? That's exactly what Jesus is saying will happen to him. Not that Jesus couldn't stop it if he chose to, but because that's exactly what Jesus came to do. You see, did you notice the musts there in verse 21? Jesus says he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This must happen, Jesus says, not because of coincidence or unavoidability in some other sense, but because this is God's plan, this is God's purpose. This is what Jesus has come to do. It's an unexpected end. Not unexpected for Jesus, but unexpected for the disciples. And actually, this unexpected end is because of an unexpected enemy. An unexpected enemy. You see, the trouble that the disciples had with what Jesus was talking about here, about dying and that, was because of who they thought were their enemies that God was going to get rid of that God had come, God's king had come to defeat. They thought the biggest problem facing them was, was the nations who ruled over them. The, it was the Babylonians and then the Medes and then the Persians and then the Greeks and, then, and now for them it was the Romans. They had nation after nation ruling over them. And according to God's promises in the Old Testament, they were hoping for a time when God's king would come and, and fix things up, defeat the other nations so that God's people would no longer be suffering under this oppression and well you certainly don't defeat big nations with big armies by dying it seems that seems a bit ludicrous you overpower them you crush them with your own armies and strength but what the disciples didn't understand was that in fact the greatest enemy that they were facing was an unexpected one not out there in the nations but in here in their own hearts sin and the consequence of sin which is death you see that's the enemy that's the enemy that had continually been at work causing God's people to fail again and again and again that's the enemy that that many people today don't really expect or accept either the general assumption in our society is that we're basically good we just sometimes make mistakes if, you know, we're given the chance, we could do what's right. We could obey God rightly. Or so we think. But no. We are sinful, basically. That's the fundamental thing kind of going on inside us at the moment. That's saying that I'm number one instead of God. That's like saying to God, it's not for you to decide what's going to be right and wrong for me, that's for me to decide. I'm going to do things my way. And that is just the air of our society. All kinds of things might go through your mind when I say the word sin, when you hear that word, but this fundamentally is what it's about. The heart of it. Taking God's rightful place of ruler over our lives as if we're able to do it on our own and do as we see fit. But that's simply not the case. None of us made ourselves, but we were made by the Maker. 
Even humanly speaking, have a think about it. Being born isn't something that you do, that you contribute to, that's your great achievement, and so, you know, you own yourself. No, no, being born is something that happens to you, isn't it? My wife and I, we've uh, been blessed with having five wonderful children, uh, and I've been present for all of the births. I've delivered a few of them as well. Uh, And I can tell you for certain that none of the kids were contributing, you know, they, were the, they weren't the active ones in what was going on during birth. They were very passive, just there and things happening to them. Birth is something that happens to you. Soph was doing a great job, by the way, uh, and in, in God's kindness, uh, everything went very well. Um, but despite all of that, we can still very easily live on the assumption that my life is my own to do with what I want, and I'm not responsible to anyone, let alone God. So then, when the consequence of sin is death, although it might seem a little severe, it really is a fitting consequence for us when we choose to cut ourselves off from the source of life. Sin and death, then, with this unexpected enemy that God was going to deal with in an unexpected way. And that actually brings us to the real unexpected end. The unexpected end at Easter is not ultimately that Jesus died on the cross, but the end of sin and death. You see, that's the amazing and unexpected defeat here. It's not the defeat of Jesus in his death, but the defeat of sin and death in the death of Jesus. Not the defeat of Jesus in his death, but the defeat of sin and death in the death of Jesus. In his death, Jesus took our sin. He took what we deserved upon himself. He died the death that we deserved and defeated that power of sin and death, that power which was held over us. That's the unexpected defeat that we celebrate at Easter time. If we trust Jesus and receive what he has done for us, then we're no longer facing a final defeat in death. Sure, people still die. Christians, people who follow Jesus still die. But that's not the final defeat. That's not the final end. Because with Jesus, there's more life to live. With Jesus, the fullness of life is still to come. That's the real unexpected end at Easter the unexpected end of the power of sin and death, in Jesus' death. And so also at Easter is the unexpected gift, the gift of life in the face of our greatest enemy, death. So then how will you respond to the unexpected? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm really glad that you're with us. It's fantastic. You're welcome to, to come and come to church anytime. But I want you to ask something to, to think about this Easter. How are you going to respond to that real unexpected end, the end of sin and death in the death of Jesus, that offer of life that Jesus offers us? Don't respond badly or in an unexpected way as we might have as I talked about earlier today don't metaphorically jump into the pool like the cat did 
uh, write it off as hogwash or something like that. But neither simply let this unexpected truth kind of pass you by without you even flinching. Do something about it. Ask questions. Look at him more closely in the course for the curious that Sean's going to mention later on. Let your ideas about Jesus actually be filled up by what he says about himself rather than just what we might hear anywhere and around. Be filled by the source about Jesus. That's, don't let this opportunity pass you by. And But if you're here today and you are a Christian, then this is still a question that we need to ask ourselves, that you need to ask yourself. How are we responding to this unexpected death? Sorry, the unexpected end of death in the death of Jesus. Because it's not just a once-off response. It's not just like a switch on the wall that you flick on once and then leave it on for the rest of your life. It's a continual response to what Jesus has done for you. The right way to respond is to continue to let your ideas about Jesus, your understanding of who he is, be filled up by him rather than by, again, what you might think about him. When Jesus highlights our wrong thinking as we read his word, like he does for Peter right here, we receive an unexpected rebuke. You receive an unexpected rebuke. And when we hear that, we need to repent and turn away from it. We need to change our thinking, to line up with his thinking. He's the one who knows best about him and about us. So continue to let him have his rightful place. Turn away from the wrong thinking that we get as we see it. And keep turning to Jesus. Well, I'm not sure what you were expecting when you uh, came today to Easter, uh, to hear about the unexpected Easter, but I do pray for all of us who are here that we might take some time this Easter to consider that unexpected end of death in the death of Jesus and not let us pass it by, and not let it pass us by because, well, we never know when our time to consider that will come to an end. Amen.